and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back with episode two of Trapped Under Plastic. I am your host, John, and joining me is Scott, who is also a host. Mm-hmm. Often yeah. known as a co-host. I kind of curious. So we did it. We got one under our belt, and we're back for round two. Round two. Ready for more. And uh, we got a real interesting topic today, but before we get to that... Mm-hmm. I feel like there's something else we should talk about. Yeah, and that something is that this podcast can be found on all places where you can find podcasts. <laughs> uh, you know, what are, what are they? Apple stuff? Google stuff? Stitcher? <laughs> Face <Spotify>. Ram? <laughs> <laughs> all the places where you can find it, okay? Our podcast host takes care of that stuff for us. <laughs> and also, we publish this podcast every other Monday. So if you're watching this on a Monday, you won't get another episode next Monday, but you will the one after that. That's right. Okay. With all those details out of the way, let's start the actual podcast. So before we get into the meat and potatoes, I got the it. meat and potatoes again. We gotta cut, we gotta cut the meat and potatoes. <laughs> before we get oh. into the thick of it, okay. is that any better? Yes. Of our question that you will likely have seen in the title of this podcast already, let's discuss what we've painted in the last two weeks. John? Oh, I gotta go first again. Do you want me to go first? Poopy diapers. Yeah, you go first. Okay. I painted a commission, a Tau commission, uh, Commander Shadow Sun. I made a video about it. Yes, you did. Uh, talking about the process of painting, but also uh, just some helpful things for commission artists uh, to look out for when they're doing a commission. I'm not a professional commission artist. I don't do that for a living. But, you know, you pick up a few things once you've done it a few times. Um, so I made a video about learning that and, and painting it. And it was a fun, it was a fun process because this guy was like, here, here's a picture of a bowling alley, make the paint scheme based on the colors in this bowling alley. And the bowling alley was, was secondary just to what, what colors were going on and what the palette was. You didn't so, like actually have to have like bowling wearing balls. bowling shoes, no. towel bowling shoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, thankfully not. But yeah, so that was fun. You got to paint. Use my favorite color, hot pink. Um, yeah, that's what I painted. Um, much, that's it. My question: mm-hmm. Do you like the the freedom of not being like emotionally attached to a mini when you're doing a commission piece? Maybe mm-hmm. I should clarify the question. Um, when I've done pieces, and it's not like I love this mini, like this is for my army, this is like my jam. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have more freedom to just kind of go with whatever works, go with what feels fun and not be so tied to like, oh, I have to do this this way because if, if I'm going to do 60 other of my battle line troops that to be fit in a similar scheme, like you you just add all this other baggage. Okay. But if you're doing one dude. One dude. One dude, they give you inspiration. They give you, even if they give you a full exact color palette, you're just like, cool. I, I'm just not emotionally connected to this miniature. Is that a help to you? Okay, I'm gonna try to answer the question that you're asking, which is painting a miniature with no emotional attachment versus just doing a commission. I don't like doing commissions. I'll probably do less of them, but painting a model that I'm not emotionally attached to. Hmm. I think a healthy mixture is good. I think that it can almost be a palate cleanser for when you are more emotionally invested in something. Cause obviously the downside of being emotionally invested in something is that if it doesn't turn out the way you want it to, you're going to be upset. Mm-hmm. So with that, yeah, if I don't, if I don't paint a good, if I don't paint it well, then maybe I'll get upset. But 
my perception of what a good miniature is oftentimes is a lot different than the person I'm painting for. Sure. You know how it's, it's, it's easy to impress someone who has no idea how to paint miniatures with a model. You're like, holy cow, you painted the eyes? And it's like, dude, some people put eye reflections in <laughs> eyes that are 28 mil scale. Um, so it's a lot easier to impress people who, you know, who aren't painting it uh, and know all the problems with it. Um, I think so. To answer your question, I think a healthy mixture is probably probably good. Mm. You, you touched on something there that I um, recently kind of dealt with as well in, in a conversation that I had with Vince Vincerella, mm. which is um, just name dropping right here. Name dropping the Vinci. Yeah, Vinci V. I'm the only person that calls him that. I don't think he likes it. <laughs> so he didn't react at all when you said that. It was just like this look of I shouldn't acknowledge and maybe it'll go away. So, <laughs> uh, so therefore, I'm going to keep twisting the dagger see what happens um a rod and fancy v <laughs> yeah i have nicknames for everybody that nobody else uses <laughs> um but uh he said something that like resonated with me and he said that it's really good to use a a back and forth mentality like you you do a competition piece or something you're really invested in and then after you do that you do something you don't care about or right. just like knock out something for fun knock out something for your army that you're not gonna just slave over and then go back like that yes. healthy back and forth um really helps you stay on track and continue to paint yeah without being so slogged down so. i i appreciate vincey v's approach i 100 <laughs> percent agree right now at the moment i am painting things i don't care at all about too much and i need to paint a project i think i told you this yeah i need to paint something that i give a about yeah i don't give a about anything i've painted in the last five months so the paint job reflects that yeah so i need a little bit more of that i'm emotionally invested in this model uh but yeah a mixture is, is good yeah but yeah that's what i painted what did you paint oh boy well i um i painted a cloak on a necromancer so wow. I, I get back. a whole clock <laughs> just the back not even the front not the under parts <laughs> wow so going back to last episode like this was my like um chimera color testing version deuce mm -hmm. where i'm like i'm gonna use just chimera paints on this whole necromancer that a kit bash and I'm really kind of dig the model uh, that I made, and so I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna make him look badass. I use a kit, I use a necromancer in like every one of my death armies because he's a badass unit. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna make do it all chimera. I did the cloak. I'm like, oh, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I can't do this chimera mixing all the colors thing. <laughs> oh man, because like then I realized like I, I did all these funky mixtures and finally got this like, like kind of reddish purplish tone. It was just really cool in the in the shadowy part of the cloak. And maybe I should post this uh, picture of the cloak on Instagram so then people can reference this. And then I went like the next day to do the inside of the cloak. <laughs> I had to remix that color again. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, uh, there was like seven colors that I used to make this and it was just all by eye. Yeah. Nothing was noted or measured. Okay. okay. So, so much yeah. for that. And rip. by the way, if, if you're confused when John said, um, he talked about Chimera last episode, it was part of the extended version of the podcast. 
um, we talked about new things that we've tried and experimented with. John talked about Chimera paints. Yep. I talked about making frozen water at, at scale. Not frozen waffles. Not frozen waffles. Um, just very important distinction. Um, but so if you're curious, <laughs> you want to hear the extended version, that is a thing we offer on our Patreon that you can check out linked in the show notes. God, that was a great transition. I know. Wasn't I just saved you? You did. People are like, what? You didn't mention Chimera paints. Give us money and you can figure out why. <laughs> um, so yeah, did you paint anything else other than a single cloak? Uh, I actually, I got my order in from Creature Caster, and by order I mean they sent me all my goodies from winning Resin Beast last Ooh. year, and uh, they gave me all sorts of goodies. And the the beautiful, beautiful Peter of Creature Caster. Peter's beautiful. He is what a beautiful shiny man, glistening, <laughs> and. He sent me the full range of their new paint colors too, because they just oh. uh, uh, version two bought out version two. And, wow, you have version two? I got version two. No, fa- you're fancier than me. Yeah, I have version one. I got the full set. Like now, when I put them on a rack, all the Creature Caster Monument paints on one rack, it's like legit. It's like yeah, they the, got they got a range. Now. Are the bottles easier to squeeze? <laughs> no, that's the first no, thing I checked, Peter. <laughs> that's the first thing I checked, and it, they're the same, the exact same bottles. I can live with it because I'm not a a giant wimp but <laughs> wow i guess i'm a giant wimp like you're just your little flaccid fingers can't squeeze <laughs> the bottles enough my bones break <laughs> you're mr glass um so i got all that and i started putting together cleaning washing my piece that i plan to do for resin beast 2020 getting rid of that mold release oh yeah but honestly i feel i didn't my other creature caster ones that I've painted, I've never done this step. Yeah. And I never felt the need to. They don't have a really strong mold release on there. So Honestly, I've never had a model that's been like, this has mold release on it. It's like glistening or a little bit glossy. I've, I've never seen that, but I've always just washed models. The other reason why washing models is good after you've like filed them down and stuff is that you'll oftentimes have like dust mm-hmm. and finger grease on it. So... Or like little hangnails. Like, you know when you scrape something, it's like you don't fully scrape it. It's like a little bit. Yeah, on yeah. It. Oh, hangnail. That's a great description of yeah. what that is. Yeah, just grab your toothbrush. It's kind of, toothbrushes are kind of a little bit aggressive. Just just enough to be able to knock all that crap off. Um, so it doesn't get kind of stuck to the model when you prime it down. Hmm. I think like, this is maybe a whole nother topic for another day. Or maybe it's a video or something. That, uh, it's something. Um, <laughs> mini painting wives tales wives tales okay yeah, like like oh you gotta you gotta wash your you gotta wash your mini first yeah, you know because otherwise you're just gonna fuck it up and it's not gonna work i got another one you have to prime your mini yeah that's a bunch of bull that's bull well it depends i haven't uh, formally tested this yet but i mean i know people who don't prime their miniature david soper is one mm-hmm. but he only paints stuff for competition where the model is never touched i think it's all shit. So he just, you know, it's about eliminating a layer of paint. I, so you can get the crispiest detail. I did a, I did a um, commission for a guy. I've I've painted every Warhammer Underworlds expansion for him, and he plays the game like. Oh man, I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> he plays the game like a lot. He's very competitive in the game. Okay. And I painted every one of his warbands, and I never primed a single mini, and I never told him. Really. <laughs> Did you varnish it? Nope. Oh no. That's another thing. You should it's probably do BS. That. No, it's not. 
BS. I mean, at the very least, it's another layer of something before the paint. It's BS. It's, you're not spraying on water. It's BS. If it was water, it'd be BS. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Here's why it's I feel something. this way. It's, it's something. Here's, here's why I feel it's unnecessary. It's because of the plastic. If they were pewter, 100% agree. Sure. If they were, even if they were resin, agree because of the, the brittleness. But something about the GW plastic, it's not bendy, um, but it's not super, super firm. It has enough of a give to it where it's not, the, the paint is adhered and it's not as likely to chip or to flake flaking isn't really a thing it's no, more of a chipping no. thing and and i have dropped plastic minis on the hardwood floor with no varnish with it's no... not about the drops it's it... about the dorito fingers oh dude and i have a story oh, i ripe i i ripe i rub paint off of my models my gw ones as i paint them with my fingers because your paint isn't cured yet i know but still that doesn't equal can you can you not agree to the fact that a layer of varnish is a essentially it's not but you can think of it as a layer of clear paint it it's is one more barrier before the paint sure sure so what's the harm in that i don't is, is, is your i don't like what it i don't like what it does to oh, my paint job oh come on it's a it's my a paint job is so crispy crispy no it's not <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it is when you try but for like a commission yeah, come on for a gaming commission come on man you're right you're right I hit that. I hit that commander shadow. Someone with like three layers. Wow. I do. Uh, I do two to one satin varnish and matte varnish vallejo. Here's what we learned: is that if you're gonna get commission work done, get it from Scott and not from me. Right. Because I will. It lasts. I will just. <laughs> mine will barely make it to your front door. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be there, but I'm concerned that over time you may start to see some of the underlying plastic. Unless he does it right and only touches the base, but no one does that. Nobody does that. That's no. what the base is there for, people. Touch the base. Don't touch the freaking model. Yeah, but Tester's dull coat is like four dollars, and it would I'd spend like twelve more dollars worth of Tester's dull coat to to varnish all of those, and that's cutting into my profits. <laughs> really? You that much varnish? Yeah, yeah. yeah it just, goes pretty far. Does it? I think it does. Well, I don't use Tester's. I the, I use it out of the can sometimes. Yeah. I don't like running. I only do one layer of the aerosol stuff, but if it's airbrush stuff, then I'll put on a few layers. I don't like running it through the airbrush because it just destroys your airbrush. So you got to be fancy like me and have multiple airbrushes. I, I just bought one. I just bought a second one for this Welcome purpose. Welcome to the world. It's a Masters like uh, dumpified yes. $15 one. Masters. It was, it's great for, because I started doing a lot of enamels through the airbrush. Okay. And I'm like, I am not destroying my Sotar 2020 by throwing enamels through there. Right. And Would that destroy an airbrush? some more mini painting wives tales just like <laughs> just like metallic paint destroys my paintbrushes yeah that's not, god damn it we got it we're on to something i mean i do this on youtube right i myth bust sometimes don't i no you are fully <laughs> i have all the golden nuggets <laughs> here <laughs> you see now everyone can listen to them right now instead of having you steal them later. it's okay you can you can do those ideas you'll just do it worse than me <laughs> <laughs> zing oh no it only took us an episode in like 10 <laughs> minutes to really get to <laughs> what this relationship is going to be like yeah yeah just seething envy all right enough of what we painted let's get on to the topic yes of the day the day the topic is if there were a perfect miniature painting competition what would it look like Ooh. now i i think we probably have to have a caveat with this is 
we're saying this because we don't feel such a thing exists today currently, right? Not even close. Not even close. Yeah. No, which is why, all right, let's talk the utopian mini painting society. But first we talk about the ones that exist and how they fall short of the glory. Okay. So let's let's just rip people to shreds. Yeah. And then we build them up anew. I feel a little bit better about ripping to shreds. No, I'm not even going to say it. But we can talk about what exists. Um, and, well, what we know. Like, I've never been to SMC. I've never been to Monte San Savino. Um, I've been to Crystal Brush. I've been to Golden Demon. And I know how they work enough to be able to criticize them. And John has some very strong opinions about Everchosen. <laughs> I, I, I don't... I know of how it works and it's a cool idea, but I didn't, I didn't get into like the details. I didn't do the voting or anything like that, but you did. I spent like an hour and a half. Oh boy. And I didn't get through all the minis. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the problems and maybe we can be general and specific in other certain cases. I say, I say we talk about problems in general and then maybe highlight examples of sure. painting competitions that fall under that critique. Okay. Sure. I think a big problem is consistency in judging. And that yeah. the problem with that is that obviously it's impossible to quantitatively judge art, but so many people do it outside of literal art. Like if you think about the Olympics, how do you mm. judge figure skating, right? Obviously you land jumps or you don't land jumps. That's, that's hard right. and fast, but there's form. There's like, the the whole uh, routine as a whole how it's composed they there's have, so much that goes into it they that's have like a category that's called like creative expression yeah what <laughs> no so that is judged on an incredibly competitive level of the freaking olympics yeah. okay it's a thing people do so we can't use this excuse in miniature painting where it's like it's impossible to judge art it's like people do it at a very high level we need to be better at it well like i mean there's a reason that rotten tomatoes is a thing right a film is a piece of art, and yet that mm. still has a statistical number attached to it. Film critiques on. are a thing. Food critiques are a thing. Yep. Um, so, so let me explain further what I mean by consistency. I think it's hard. Like, for instance, when you get when you get a score, or you don't, or you do place at a painting competition, and you go and you ask a judge, "Hey, what was what was the feedback, the critique on this piece? So I can do better next year." They tell you these things that are kind of just strange and off the wall sometimes. And it's like, okay, what's your measurement system? Like, why, why was that important? And why did that knock me down? Right. So I think what we need is very specific things, a very specific metric, a rubric yeah. that is followed by every single judge. Yeah. And then every single judge will talk about, as a panel, a piece, talk about their scores, write down their justifications. And then, this is the crazy part, make that justification public. Yeah. to everyone yeah like when i give a score in figure skating i hold up a number everyone in the crowd can see it mm -hmm. okay they don't i don't know if they give a justification but they have written justifications but that's not necessarily public knowledge but okay well maybe it doesn't need to be public but your name as a judge should be attached to it because your reputation as a judge should be on the line because if it isn't on the line you can do whatever the fuck you want right yep if it's all behind the veil suddenly whether you're consciously doing it or subconsciously doing it you are you have this layer of protection mm -hmm. to just go with what my gut is instead yeah. of having to explain it or if you're a spanish judge maybe you'll subconsciously prefer spanish painters 
We are just using Spanish there completely arbitrarily. Are we? <laughs> Wait, I'm actually, I don't have anyone in mind right now. Okay. All right. Yeah, sure. Me neither. I'm being serious. Oh. It's, we'll talk about this later. All right. It's, uh, okay. I mean, I know there are Spanish judges at, at, at Crystal Brush. It must be, must be something there. Um, but that is something that may happen that people may not intend for just because they have that veil of privacy. So just eliminating that entirely just makes it that much more fair. All right. I think I have a real world example uh, of this that no one's going to care about. <laughs> um, it's a great joke. It just gets better every time. <laughs> this is our third take on this. Damn dogs. <laughs> Scott laughs every time. So in high school, I was in speech. Uh, speech is a competitive extracurricular event, much like sports, but for nerds. Mm. And so every Saturday morning, we had to get up and go to the speech meet. And for this, you, you have a speech that you memorized with an eight-minute time limit and a bunch of different categories, just like in miniature painting. And you would go to your rounds, and you, you had three total rounds in the meet, and you had one judge. It was a different judge for each round. And they had their full sheet for everyone that competed in your category. And you got a score uh, for each of the, I think it was five different areas out of ten. And not only did they have to then tally your total score, but they had to give justification reasons for why they gave you each score. So they had to be able to put into words why it wasn't perfect, or if it was a 10 out of 10, which was extremely rare, why was it perfect? Right. And then at the end, they tally all three judges' scores, and you get back that sheet at the end of the event. So not only was your final placing based on that, um, but you also got to look at the words that they wrote and do use that to get better next time. I did a, uh, I judged a local, like just new painters competition and I instituted a very similar, very straightforward, um, kind of competitive sheet system that there too. And I gave that back to every one of the contestants and they loved it. They thought that it would help them improve and it thought, it gave them justification for why they got the score they got. Why can't something like that be implemented? I have no idea. Maybe it is, but they just don't publicize it? If if you can stand behind the work you're putting in as a judge, there should be no reason why you can't share it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Maybe CB judges have a rubric. They just don't share it. Yeah. I doubt it because why wouldn't you just give that to the painter? Instead of me even go up and ask you and you remember from like memory what my piece was and what you thought about it. And when I've done that, they like look at my piece for a minute or two before <laughs> they give get me a feedback. Little, yeah, jog the memory. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. get that if, you know, there's 10 pieces per category and 10 categories. It's 100 miniatures. I mean, yeah. I don't expect them to yeah. mentally on point remember everything. But if you got a sheet, you don't need to remember anything. You got it all right there. Mm-hmm. So that's Do we my know first of thing. any place that has done that? Do we know of any competition that uses that kind of system? No, but that doesn't mean that there isn't one because there are a lot of painting competitions out there. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the, f- that's the first thing I dislike about the competitions that I'm aware of is just consistency. Mm-hmm. And also in this, and also what we t- t- touched on was transparency in judging and right. judges. So I think another one that we, we need to discuss is the public vote. Jeez. <laughs> and this, not that it doesn't have a place. I guess if we go back to the Rotten Tomatoes example, um, you have the breakdown of the critiques, uh, critic scores and then public scores as well. So you can see the two. But quite often, there is quite a bit of difference. Yeah. And you're dealing with, 
you know, and it's even it's even worse than than using the Rotten Tomatoes example because if I see the public scores is high, that means that they really enjoyed the movie. Well, it's a good chance I'm going to enjoy it. But if they don't have the years of training and the eye for what makes one piece better than the other, just I like the model, right? We're not dealing with the blank canvas here. I like the model. It's the new hotness. He, he that's the same chapter as my space marine army he gets a 10 out of 10 for sure like there's so many factors involved yeah but all those factors apply to movies too like i like vampires i'm gonna like 30 days of night and Mm, all these things more because i like vampires um so it applies there too um i don't know in regards to public vote it's like it changes the way you paint in a competition yep like you were saying, you want to paint miles are the new hotness because people are going to prefer those, whether they do it intentionally or they do it not intentionally. So it means that you can't paint whatever you want. And at the end of the day, I would say that's probably an overall negative thing. If you don't care about winning, then you'll paint whatever you want anyways. But mm-hmm. I think for the most part, if you're competing and you're a serious competitor, you'll compete to win. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say they enter just for the feedback, but you don't need to enter to get feedback at a con. You can walk up to any judge with your model or any professional painter and be like, Hey, can I have feedback on this? And nine times out of 10, they'll, they'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to put your stuff in the case to get feedback. So I don't understand when people say that, but, um, for a competition, if you're competing, you're competing to win. If you're competing to win, you're going to paint space Marine. <laughs> <laughs> I also find it really weird that people, and I've heard that said that people will enter to get feedback when in fact, if you just like enter a piece, you don't get any feedback. No, you you don't. You have to actively go ask for (laughs) feedback. (laughs) Yeah. Which is what you had to do anyways if you weren't in the competition. Right. I get that there's other values to entering a competition to push yourself. And those are totally legitimate. For an end date. Yep. Yes. Yes. Those are legitimate as well. But the, the, public vote is there's just so many room so much room for th- things to not go as planned right and also there's a, there's another layer here is the public vote an online public vote or is it only in person public vote yeah that's a good question too right because then you have a problem right the problem is the quality of the photography yes and at crystal brush they're pretty much always good yeah. there are sometimes chris suri's piece the <laughs> big uh like viking framed. one the framed one he had three entries and all of his photos i think sucked if i remember correctly so it happens sometimes um but then you have ever chosen <laughs> yeah so ever chosen is i mean until they get to the top three it's all online vote mm-hmm. so it's all of the store winners I was surprised to learn while I was spending an hour and a half trying to click through and vote on every one of these that it wasn't just GW stores. Yeah, no, yeah. LGS uh, stores that are non-GW do it as well. Yeah. And so the big problem there is is like you said, it's the pictures. And if anyone goes out there and spends two minutes, you will quickly realize that there is such a vast array of quality of pictures. It doesn't matter how good your paint job was. I can't tell i can't see it right and it never shows and they allow you to submit your own picture as well oh sh- really yep so huh. so if you are good a good painter and you set up the photography correctly yourself you submit that picture compared to the dude 
that runs the GW store that took it on his phone with the ever chosen winner like card as the backdrop. Yeah, and like the fluorescent lights of the store. <laughs> There's no way you're gonna win. There's no way that that people can even tell how good or poor your paint job is. Right. That is not a a, a breeding ground for fair judging from public vote, even when public vote is already so misguided as is. And I think one of my biggest problems with an online public vote especially is the reasoning behind it the reasoning behind it is for publicity and for promotion of the company it's not for the betterment of the artist or the spirit of the competition yeah and there's another thing that we'll talk about and related related to publicity but i think i think you're definitely right about that they want people to share their entry and you have to if you want to play the game you have to you have to say hey i made it past final cut i made it into this <laughs> thing go vote for my thing here's a link to it i do it yeah of course i do it uh i that's probably the area i have the biggest advantage um <laughs> is with that because i have a i have a community that is exclusively online yeah um so yeah that's unfair i have that people don't have a hundred thousand subscribers but i get to take advantage of that that's stupid yep no one should win for that reason um but you touched on something that i also want to touch on is that crystal brush is beholden to sponsorships right so every year it's a ten thousand dollar prize pool it's like six thousand three thousand one thousand for first second third and best in show but then they also give like 50 or 100 or 150 bucks to third, second, and first in each individual category. Yeah. Right? So Those numbers aren't exact, but that's pretty close. Something like that, yeah. So that's cool. Not many co- competitions have a cash prize. Golden Demon somehow is able to cultivate a desire to get that trophy, but there is no cash prize. Kind of like the Olympics. Do what? You, do you win money when you win an Olympic award? Um, I don't think you do. I think you just get publicity and then get to you do like ads for Nike and like oh Snickers. yeah, you, you're <laughs> yeah you get sponsorships is what you get right. But do you get paid by the Olympic institution? You get a lot of your oh, well. Here's the one thing that you you sh- yeah you get all your expenses paid to go to the Olympics whether you win or not. Well, that's not that's not payment. I don't pay my mortgage with an airplane ticket. Yeah, but we still got to pay for the hotel room. We got to pay for gas. We got to pay for meals while we're at Adepticon. Okay. Well, if you want to talk about that, Olympians need to qualify to go to the Olympics. Do you want to qualify to go to CB? Yeah, I do. If they're going to pay for my hotel. Hell yeah. Okay, fine. (laughs) Sure. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, But okay. So my point with Crystal Brush being beholden to sponsors is that the price pool every year is the same. And then they have to do things because they have sponsorships that need advertisement. They need to put their logo in every single freaking picture. Yeah. The public vote becomes more of an important thing because that's, that's another way to advertise the uh, the competition and all and the sponsorships. And they're sending you to Crystal Brush's website to vote. So we're getting free uh, traffic. Right, yeah. So I am always a fan of homegrown solutions and an example of having a prize pool and a homegrown solution is most of these competitions occur at a convention yeah golden demon happens at what is there a thing called now warhammer day warhammer world something like warhammer that. fest warhammer fest used to be called uh games day games day went to one but that was it um and then obviously crystal brush happens at adapt the con and i think we can take 
we can take a note out of esports's book here about how they fund their uh competitions uh dota ti just happened the international it's like the super bowl of video games mm. it isn't the highest paying video game tournament but it is certainly up there the prize pool is 33 million this year 15 million going to the first place team and you know how they got all that money one because it's steam it's valve but two because when you buy cosmetics and other things in the game dota a portion of that sale for the time around TI goes to the prize pool. So how do you do that with the convention? You take two bucks, three bucks, whatever, off of each con ticket, put that into a prize pool for the gaming tournaments mm-hmm. and for the painting tournament tournaments. And then you don't have any sponsors. And every year, if your competition is good, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Your prize pools go up and up and up. Your thing becomes more and more of an institution. No sponsors that and the best part about that is the ecosystem that you create of everybody succeeding everyone that's there for any reason whether to play in a tournament whether it's to go shopping whether it's to take classes whether it's to enter the painting competition is all of those areas thrive the other areas also thrive mm-hmm. because the, the con is growing and then your section of the con then gets more exposure gets a bigger prize pool going to get more people involved more people are interested more people will travel and come to it for those reasons right absolutely so far our list is no online voting transparent judges scoring right in writing and a painting competition that is not beholden to sponsorship in order to fund itself and be successful. Right. Absolutely. So um, those are our, our you big said three. no online voting. Do you mean no public vote? Yeah. Okay. Because online voting is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, it's part of public vote, but it's also a different thing. Like the problem with Crystal Brush and Everchosen is that the technology available to online vote sucks. Yeah. For some reason, Everchosen, I was shocked because I would think that they would be aware of the issues that Crystal Brush has had over the years in like simply being able to scroll through and vote and look at every mini in a certain category without taking 12 steps to do so. Right. But there's was a lot of technical issues where it just wouldn't populate the next picture. It oh, just, wow. Okay. No next mini would show up. And, or you'd click a star on one a picture and then the exact same mini would come up again and you could vote again. Give it however many stars you'd want. <laughs> again. And then it would come up and, and sometimes it'd be a new one. Sometimes it'd be a one from two minis ago. Sometimes it would be the same one multiple times in a row. So they just didn't test this well enough. Yeah. yeah. So it completely undermines the actual data that they're getting on who's got the best score. Right. And also um, you were telling me it gave you no indication of how close you were to the end. No. Yeah. I, I, I still didn't see them all after an hour and a half. Right. And I have no idea how close I was Right. Yeah. to the end. I don't know how many actually total competitors there were right okay so for for all the things that we dislike about these various painting competitions there are some things that we also do like um from crystal brush the fact that you can paint any miniature from any manufacturer you want yeah that's really nice yeah that's and that's something i'm gonna miss because if you're if you aren't aware this year at adepticon was crystal brushes last real year it's going to be a thing at cool money or not's convention but it's not going to have the same prestige as it had at adapticon but the void got filled with golden demon 
which is super cool because GD hasn't been in the United States since 2013. Mm-hmm. So now it's back. But the downside of GD is that you can only paint a games workshop model. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of other kind of, I don't know how much of it is true or just what people's thoughts are behind what is expected or what is what does well at Golden Demon competitions. Right. It's less about art. It's more about promoting their GW's products and what what style they want to see. See, I I don't think that's entirely true. Um, And I'm going to reference something kind of old, but once upon a time, there was someone who won a Slayer Sword with a Night Night Goblin, just like a basic Night Goblin. I don't even think it had any conversion work. And to me, that was like, holy cow, all they care about is the painting. And so that was super cool that someone could win it with such a basic model. And, and even this year uh, at Warhammer, uh, what was it, Golden Demon Classic, the winner was a converted troll. And the was the troll that new of a model? Or, or am I, yeah, it was. It was always part of the, the Shadespire. Trogoths. Trogoths. No, it was not the Shadespire one. It was of the re-release of the Loon Fang, Loon, oh, the, Loon Curse. Okay, okay, okay. But, okay. I guess to kind of save face right now, it was a heavily converted model and not a particularly uh, popular one. Night Goblins is popular because it just came out, but it's not like a Space Marine thing or something po- like a Chaos Space Marine thing or something popular like that. It's it's a, he, it's he a Goblin com- thing. He completely sculpted that base all by hand too, which was <laughs> really freaking amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the the quality of that, it looked like it was from a GW like terrain kit or something you kit bash, but it was all sculpted by hand. And in fact, and somewhere online, there is, um, um, I think it's for some mini painting magazine or something that they, he did an article with PDF breakdown of how he sculpted that. Figure and how he, painting magazine ring a bell? That's probably it. Okay. Well, w- there's also a nice website that. Uh, collects all the golden demon winners from from the past not all of them but a lot of them we'll put that in the show notes so you can check it out because it's, it's a pretty cool website to see all those uh those ones that won that gd but so to me golden demon when i ever compared it to crystal brush was that golden demon was just all about the painting skill and the technicality but what you're telling me is that maybe now it's more an avenue to advertise their new stuff and if i painted a squat i'd have no chance of winning because you can't buy that model anymore and because (laughs) it's lame and old and it's not just about the technique and the and and the execution but it's about the new and shiny stuff yeah and i I don't think that's 100 percent true either i was just kind of throwing that out there because that's the stuff you hear okay okay whereas it was last was it last year that uh a slon won yeah the slayer sword yeah and, you know, that model has been produced in 15 years. Right. So I, I think it's just one of those going back to the old wives' tales. <laughs> Maybe. You know, yeah. you know, people that are salty about people that win will make up all kinds of excuses for stuff. Yep. Yeah. So that's certainly a thing. Uh, yeah. Although, I mean, one thing I like not ever having competed in a golden team in that I like compared to something like Crystal Brush is I don't have to worry about competing against some dream team sculptor oh, yeah. painter duo well if conversion conversion is allowed um you get some of that but it it happens so much less if at all at golden demon mm-hmm. so yeah that's a good point 
Well, the majority of the model has to be based off of has to be Games Workshop sculpt. And oh, you can't see. There's no custom sculpting category. You you can custom sculpt onto anything and convert anything, but it has to either be GW bits or completely handmade. Right. So you could take like the face of an orc and re-sculpt half of his body or whatever. Right. But a lot of when you're looking at the folks that do this high-end sculpting for competitive pieces, their style is not GW style. It wouldn't... Right. It doesn't mesh with the catalog yeah. very well. And usually they're big-ass scaled. <laughs> right. I remember back in the day, uh, like in the early 2000s, when Alfonso Heraldas Banshee... He won a Slayer Sword with a custom uh, Trader Guardsman that he sculpted. So it's a possibility. But Crystal Brush had that. That was like an accepted thing. So it happened all the time. And that's not really a thing that happens a whole lot that I'm aware of at Golden Demon. So, yeah, it is good that that doesn't happen as much. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is tied to the public vote, too. I, I <laughs> and the money. This, and the money. Yeah. Right. Because then if you win your piece that is now going to be available for sale that is sculpted first time ever seen at this competition. Yep. Now it gets all this free publicity and you get all the crazy votes because of the wow factor. There's another thing. You can't tag team entries in a competition. Period. Yeah. If you can sculpt something and paint it like you're like Rafael Pica, then you should win because you are that much more talented right. than I am. But you should not be able to tag team an entry. That is stupid. Yep. Yep. It's also, here's another thing. Um, do you have more to say about that? No. Just, yeah, you know, just like, I mean, maybe I'm just salty because I, I don't have the access to people to do that, but that's dumb. Um, we, we just need those people. No, I don't, <laughs> don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Uh, I could pay someone to do it. I mean, like I know a sculptor and I could pay him, but I don't want to do that. Um, another thing is, would there be any value in having your entry like uh, not attached to your name? You know, like I put, like you're not allowed to post about it on social media mm. and you put it in the case. You have, to, you have to do it behind closed doors and it just goes into the case. I mean, you, you can't avoid all of it. Some people will sh like some people at the con will be like, Hey, here's my, here's my thing. Check it out. Right. But if none of the judges know that's a, that would be pretty big. Yeah. That'd be huge. Anonymous voting and not, yeah. Anonymous entrance so that the judges don't know where stuff came from. It's impossible to avoid entirely. Yeah. Uh, but if someone made an effort, I think that could be really cool and also make the judging even more uh, fair. It's so hard in today's day and age with social media though. It is. And not only to enforce, but if we're looking about being helpful for the artists, many of these artists are getting notoriety or, or getting, um, building, uh, you know, their own salary by building their brand. And some of that is sharing things like this. Right. And right, if you right. can't share a massive project like this until after it has been judging had been shown that that may be an issue. Right. But, you're you're going to be less inclined to want to work on stuff yes. for that competition. Yeah. I'm worried about people not competing because of that. Right. Well, then you got to make it worth it. You got to have that prize pool, baby. Bing, 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 bing. If first place gets 10,000 bucks, you are going to work on it. I think we can up it from there. Oh, for sure. If, if it's linked to con ticket sales, you yeah. could for sure uh, make that price skyrocket. I think so. I think we got ourselves a wiener. No, I think we do. Now we just need to make our own convention. 
We just need a financial backer. We just need someone who cares about all this stuff and can do it for us. Yeah. And we just tell them what to do and they do it all. They just write it down in a notebook. Yeah. <laughs> well, now it's on the internet. So now we can just listen to this hour and a half long podcast to remember what we thought. Yeah. Elon Musk has got a notebook beside his. <laughs> Elon Musk? Yeah. He's like, oh, it's a very good idea. <laughs> That's not what he talks like. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. There you go. That's a little bit closer. <laughs> all right. Elon Musk doesn't say I'm sorry. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he says to the moon, <laughs> Beatrice. Okay, I think we talked about that topic a lot. I think we both have kind of a a personal investment in it, so there wasn't as much joking as the first episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe me more so than John, because I've never won anything. I'm a piece of garbage. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what I'm saying is if competitions worked the way I wanted them to, I would win everything. <laughs> I think that needs to be the overarching addition. <laughs> Asterisk, I need to win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. As we said it before, I'm a try hard. Yeah. So of course I need to win. Right. Um, but uh, on to the next segment of our podcast, the news segment. News. Um, and on today's list, we'll briefly talk about this. Uh there was a BattleTech Kickstarter that came out recently and it hit 2.5 million in sales in the first two days. That seems like a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Um, neither me or John played BattleTech, but one of my uh, patrons brought this to my attention and said it was one of the top 10 uh, grossing Kickstarters, I think, in the board game category, which is, that's making waves. That's a big deal. Yeah, so that that was pretty cool. Um but since we don't play that game, we don't have much to say about it but other than to mention it as being maybe a little bit of a historic event. I think that there's something to be taken away from that is in that it's a miniatures game more than this slog of kickstarting board games, mm-hmm. which I'm as big a fanboy of all the Kickstarter mini included board games as the next guy. I just look through those and just salivate even though I know I'm never going to paint all this that I've gotten from those games. <laughs> right. Um, but the fact that we're getting into miniature games being so successful in Kickstarter might open up some doors further for other miniature war games to spread their wings and take a shot at the king. Or um, having Kickstarters that are just exclusively miniatures for the sake of painting. Yeah. Those exist. Yeah, they do. That they do not do anywhere near as well as something that has a game attached to it yeah um but yeah i mean when someone elevates the game that elevates it for everybody in a sense yep um so that'd be cool to see that that doing well um but the other thing that happened recently is games workshop end of life a bunch of old models specifically uh, dwarves high elves wood elves empire stuff and I don't. You can't buy it anymore. I know you can't buy any more the wood elves anymore. No, um, so all that stuff is gone. They're like it was last chance to buy. So they put they put all this stuff on last chance to buy on their web store, and then within forty eight hours everything was sold out. So I think it might have been less than that. It might have been twenty four hours. Yeah. So it's like by last chance to buy, we mean like it's too late already. <laughs> it's already gone. <laughs> right. Right. And that uh, stuff is gone forever. Forever. Yeah. And um, a lot of it was plastic kits. Yeah. relatively recent plastic kit stuff that looks okay still mm-hmm. so I, I listened to we're gonna bring up Vinny v again here I, he he did a little he did a little chat with uh this 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 pleasant chap from uh new zealand about 
about that happening. He brought up a good point. Okay, at some points you need to call the range because it's hard to balance a game that has all of this stuff hanging on from so long. It's like baggage, you know? The outliers, yeah. Right. So I get that. That makes sense. Um, but did it need to be so much? <laughs> all my precious wood elves. <laughs> all like A lot of those kits are like really nice looking kits. Too. Yeah, those like, oh. wood elf characters. I mean, I mean okay, I, Side note, I play Wood Elves, or I used to, rather. Um, <laughs> Rip. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk about Wood Elves, because that's what I liked. The characters in the Wood Elf line were freaking sick looking. They were cool. Yeah. Um, and luckily, I own most of them. I don't own a few, uh, but they were really cool. Now they're all gone. You can't get them ever again. So it sucks. It sucks because, and maybe you can you can relate to this, I invested hundreds of dollars in a wood elf army however many years ago. And if I could see into the future and know that these models will literally not be playable in 2020, maybe I would have picked a different army. I think you probably would have picked a different army. Cause now I have this, there's, I, I still love my army and they look beautiful and I'm happy to have them, but it's sad that I can't play in a, play in a current up to date version of, essentially Warhammer fantasy with them. I have to play an old version. I got to find someone who's like, Hey, you want to play the version 3.5 of age of Sigmar? It's like, no, I'll play the new stuff, man. Like, leave me alone. You weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) Why why is he the weirdo? You're the one that still has the wood. Oh, sorry. He was talking to me. I'm the weirdo. Yeah. Oh, right, right. You're the guy. I'm the crotchety old guy who can't move on, but it's like, I put all this freaking time into painting this army and you just just exploded in my face. Yeesh. You're the guys, you, can't, you can't relate to this. You're the guys that play 5th edition 40K. Or 9th edition fantasy. Eesh. You know, you ever heard of that? I've heard. I've heard. That's a thing. I don't ever want to go there. Community developed rule set for Warhammer fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, not, not Age of Sigmar. Still use square base. You know what's funny is that this happened. 9th age. This happened um, to kind of coincide with their um, announcement that they had the people's uh, cities of sigmar book i so they're like oh look we are announcing cities of sigmar book which is kind of kind of like circle all the wagons of all these old armies that were order armies and put them all together and like that. the next day they're like oh by the way we're just slashing prices everything must go right like whoosh, we just chopped off the heads of a lot of these armies so you know what what's probably going to be there and what's not or you know it's certainly what's not. Okay. Yeah. I hate that book and everything it stands for. <laughs> Why? They got rid of Gladeguard. The most fundamental unit to a Wood Elf army is gone. What? Okay. Anyways. You're so mad right now. I am so mad. It's so mad. But okay. This also coincides with the release of the Kurnothi, which are like, it's, it's a it's a new Shadespire, or sorry, Underworld season. And it's called yeah. Beast Grave. It's in they're in the starter. And it seems like there's a Wood Elf thing and a Beastman thing. So it seems like the new interpretation of Wood Elves is gonna be f- freaking horse people. They're like centaurs and fawns and satyrs. I, I want my wood elves. I don't yeah, want they, horse people. Yeah, I don't well, want tree people. They I want, can't I want wood elves. This goes back to the IP issue from last yes. episode. Right, yes. You they they can't make the bucks and protect the wood elves. Right. Right, I understand because they stole somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Right. I understand that, and it makes me sad. But that book, that book, I said I hate everything it stands for, and let me explain why. I feel like this is the Scott show right now because... Scott show! Whatever. Your stuff still is around. <laughs> um, I uh, That book, okay, I don't give a crap about dwarves or empire, even though I used to play empire. I want... I want my wood elf book that is all about wood elves, has all the lore in there about wood elves, and is big and fancy and special for wood elves. I don't give a crap about dwarves. <laughs> Screw dwarves. You are so racist. Yes. <laughs> I am fantasy racist. I'm going to build the wall and make them pay for it. That's gonna dwarves the, are going to pay for it. The thumbnail of this episode is going to have me with a speech bubble saying, I'm fantasy racist. <laughs> I am. I have a lot of intermingling of the tribes. Like, okay, come on. Like, if you, whatever. If you played, uh, if you play, you play uh, uh, Night Haunt. Yeah. If your Night Haunt book had chaos crap in it and orc crap in it, would that make you feel like your Your book slice? is all order, though. Uh, okay, sorry. Okay. Yeah, there is the death. So I couldn't legion. have skeletons. I have, I already can. Have, I have skeletons that's with what my ghost. That's what it feels like to me. Dwarves and elves are so different as orcs and zombies. Is that fair? They're not that. They hate each other in most lores, but they're in the same book together. That feels what? wrong what to you, me. Well, there's no orcs in your book. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Dwarves. Dwarves. Like good guy dwarves. Good guy dwarves and good, good guy humans. Good guy elves. Th- those two are so similar as orcs are to zombies. That's why I said, imagine a book where you had chaos dudes, orcs in it, and vampire counts in it. And that was the book you had to buy for your army. Would that make you salty? That'd make me salty. Yeah. That's not this book. I know (laughs) that's what it feels like it is to me. All your stuff is order. They all have the same guiding principles. Are you? Legions of Nagash. Are you not? You're not understanding this. Legions of Nagash is all of the death stuff. I'm not breaking through to you. So... Ghost people don't like skeleton people, but they have to live together. Just like, but they're aesthetically dwarves. similar. Are are skeletons and ghosts just aesthetically similar? Just undead. That's more racism. No, they're evil. <laughs> they're okay. So orcs, you're chaos, all alive and good guys. Orcs and chaos and undead. They're all evil. They have that underlying thing. Sure. Okay. Orcs are destruction. Shut up. But they're bad guys. <laughs> they are bad guys. Okay. There might be some D&D nerds out there that are like, no, they're like chaotic neutral. Or like, shut up. They're bad guys. Okay? Dwarves and elves, they're good guys. Okay? Canonically. I get it. But they couldn't be further separated via aesthetics. Totally different things. You totally different. J.R.R. Tolkien is the one who's making you say this. I don't care. And he is not a well, part of this what fantasy do you think, world. What, no, are you kidding me? He's very much so a part of this <laughs> fantasy world. Well, we can't. We can't control that ip so he's not <laughs> part of this world anymore <laughs> okay so th- the impression that i get from putting all this crap into a book is that they're like okay people care about this stuff they still play it let's just give them a book and make them all happy at the same time instead of giving them this the, the fancy treatment that everyone gets which is everyone gets their own special book with their own special models with their own special lore no i get this this fucking vanilla book what's well, yeah. a comers uh, you know one for everyone. No. <laughs> well, there's based on which city you represent. No, John. All I want these different things. Happen. A wood elf book. Well, I don't give a crap I think about you dwarves. Said you said I get that. I think the the record states. <laughs> Linda, read back the notes. I don't give a crap about dwarves. <laughs> I only want wood elves. Um, I think this is the way that you referenced prior about the the chap from New Zealand, as you referenced him, about. 
tying up those loose ends. Yeah. So if we have an up-to-date book that works within the, the rule system and the structure that we have for the rest of Age of Sigmar 2.0, then we can allow it to still live in whatever capacity we deem they are worthy. Okay. Without getting rid of them entirely, unlike Tomb Kings. It's a di- it's <laughs> a, then a, and I'd be just as mad if I was a Tomb King player. Um, but it's a disrespectful inclusion. What they did what they did prior was they included the stats for those units in the GH the GHB, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the General's Handbook, which is like the the yearly balance to Age of Sigmar, where they adjust the points and other various things about each unit, um, which is a great idea, um, but one that they totally lifted from other games. I don't care. It's a good idea. But now they're just removing the units. And Okay, I get it. It, it makes yeah. sense. At certain but point, why you have, have to, to be mine. <laughs> At a certain point, you have to move on from the old game. I should have played Space Marines. Yeah. Those weren't going anywhere. You still could. You still could. All right. You want to hear another fed up thing about this? I'm going to drop some knowledge bombs on you. God, am I going to get saltier? Yeah. Might nah, get, probably get, not. But you're going to more fantasy racist. You're going to you're going to laugh. Okay, so um, in the latest General's Handbook, so that just came out. I'm scared. Um, they brought out a new system called mercenaries, and so what mercenaries are um, are just like you could have ally points, so you as Wood Elves could ally in you know, 400 points in your 2,000-point army into Sylvaneth because they're your ally or Stormcast or whatever. Okay, So they don't get all the benefits that your army gets, but they can be a part of your army. Okay, Mercenary system uses the same kind of point structure as allies, but they can be from anywhere. Any army can use these. No, sir. Okay, so for, no, exa- sir. for example, you as Wood Elves no, sir. Don't could, say have a, it. could have a mercenary nope. necromancer. Nope. With skeletons. Doesn't work for me. Okay. I love skeletons and necromancers, but not my wood elves. Okay. Uh, Follow me with the rest of this ride. You're about to get your mind blown. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not a wadu. Yeah. So one of the, what was looked at is the actual best of the mercenary groups that you could take was um, from free peoples, the cannon and cannoneers and organ grinder guns. Right. Okay, because they're like badass range shooter things. Right, and a right. lot of armies can't deal with shooter things. Right. That just came out as an option in General's Handbook 19. I hate this game. Then two months later, I hate this game. Those mercenary units that they just added to the game just got cut. Oh as part my god! Part of the culling. <laughs> are, do, are the teams that work on General's Handbook and who maintains the catalog of miniatures not talking to each other? They must have had like vacations that just <laughs> didn't okay. work up. What the heck? Yeah. First of all, I hate, I hate the mercenary thing. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is a me thing, very much so. But when I play an army, I need it to all, I need it to all be the, in the same thing. It can't even just look similar. It needs to be sold as the same army. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I can't buy High Elves for my wood elf army and paint the high elves green. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. So there was this game made by Steamforge called God Tier. We played it yeah. at 2018 Depticon. Yeah. I hate that game. Not because it's bad. It has problems, but whatever. But I don't want to play it because your army or whatever, your your squad consists of two God Tier like armies or, or teams. Yeah. And they're aesthetically different. I can play with an orc 
and like an elf unit together. And that's my team. It's like, no, no, I want just the elves. I want just the orcs. I want just the dwarves. I don't want to mix. I hate mixing <laughs> of the races. <laughs> it's something in my brain. It has nothing to do with real racism. Okay. I want my thing <laughs> to look like a cohesive unit. And part of my mm. brain says if I can buy them together and they both have the same badge on them, they mm. belong together. I don't understand, but I freaking, mm. I would never buy an organ gun for my wood elves. Never in a million years. They have bows and arrows. They don't need it. Right. I don't, I don't need no stupid human to help Technology. me with, with, with range stuff. I'm a freaking wood elf. But that's, that's, that, that is, that's beyond the point. I would never mix the aesthetics i don't like to do that i got it okay so i beat that to a dead horse we just we're in the news segment still we just destroyed that news or you did sorry along with your reputation i had a lot of pent-up rage <laughs> i don't play age of sigmar ever uh i play it like once a year and i destroy you and then you don't play it for a year yes um i want to play it more i don't have time to play it more but it's so good right now the game is in such a good place yeah, after having removed my entire army, that's why it's in a good place. How do I even? <laughs> how do I even play at this point? You can a lot. I of, have to paint a new army, don't I? No, your army is still good for how long? At least until General's Handbook 2020, because it has all the points and all your stuff and all the rules. Okay, so I better still I, in I better make the most of this then. We'll see when that armies or cities of Sigmar book comes out, and see what that does. To see if that maybe there's some like. Uh, Kobashi Maru? What's that? Kobayashi Maru? Kobayashi Maru? Wow. Okay. Yeah, where there's no a no-win situation that you turn into a win. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just... You have to just like... It involves you like throwing your army into a wood chipper. And then with the, the plastic scraps, we forge you an army anew. Yeah. It's like that guy who burned his entire Dark Elf army when Age of Sigmar came out. Remember that? I don't, but I will believe you that is a thing. He made a video on YouTube lighting them all on fire. And they're mostly painted. Uh, he needs... He's an idiot because, like, at the very least, Dark Elves got, like, a new Age of Sigmar army. Sisters of Cain. Daughters of Cain? Daughters of Cain? Yeah. Whatever. The they got a, They got, They got. got the treatment. They got the treatment. But, I didn't get the treatment. Yeah. Oh, no. Dark Elves are different than Daughters of Cain. They are, know. but in the past, a segment of Dark Elf army was the yeah. Canaanites. Yeah. Um, just like in my army, a section of it was forest spirits, which then became Sylvaneth. Oh, snap. So people are like, Scott, you got a new wood elf thing. It's like, shut up. I got the tree people. Okay. I like the tree people for a little bit of extra variety, but I liked the actual wood elves. Yeah. You like the army of elves with like one giant tree spirit running yes. around. That's well, and, cool. And a unit and a unit of like big tree boys, you know, like whatever, like a little bit of spice in there. But okay. Anyways. Enough about that. <laughs> Are you sure that's enough? That is enough. We need some more of that spicy sausage. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the podcast, guys. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about painting competitions and how they can improve and also uh, the news segment and also what we painted for uh, this past two weeks. Uh, if you guys like our podcast and you want to support it, you can support us in uh, a variety of ways. One is buying some merch linked in the show notes. You can see John's wearing it right now with our trapped under plastic logo. If you're watching the video version of the podcast or you can support us on Patreon, all things linked in the description below the show notes below. This is not a YouTube video. Well, I guess it is uh, for some of you, 
But um, if you were a patron, this show goes on from here. We have an extended segment where we talk about our favorite miniature of the week and why we like it. And we also give feedback to one of our patrons. Uh, we deep dive into it. But for now, the show is going to end. Any final words, John? Scott's a racist. I'm a fantasy racist. And with that, I'll see you guys in two weeks. <laughs>